0: the 60s. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. <laughs> All right! I heard you missed us. We're back. It's DJ Crystal Clear with episode 19 of Original Versus Cover, and I'm here in the world famous As It Should Be studios with its sole proprietor and owner <laughs> and subcontractor, Dr. Paul Bertolino. For fuck's sake. <laughs> and, uh, Yeah. We're back, so um last episode, previous episode, there were the standard six songs, but they had a lot of covers, and uh, this time around, probably not as many, um, but still good information. so let's get it on. The first song is called "Personal Jesus." Paul's already shaking his head. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, man. And the original is done by, of course, Depeche Mode from their blockbuster album, Violator, 1989. Everybody owned it except Paul.
1: <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed.
0: Indubitably.
1: Indubitably, I did not fucking own that. That's old.
0: right. And uh, there are two covers here. The first cover is by Johnny Cash mm-hmm. from that American 4 the Man Comes Around album from 2002. And the second cover I have is by that band that everybody knows and loves, especially Paul, Marilyn Manson. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Their version was on a Greatest a greatest Hits album, Greatest Hits, yeah. in 2004. All right. So the original version by Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode means up to the minute in fashion in French, by the way for those kids who didn't know. Because sometimes I write things about whatever, and I say, oh, yeah, that's real Depeche Mode, and people are like, it's not like the band. I'm speaking French, bitch. Anyway.
1: <laughs> that's, speaking French, you understand.
0: You understand. <laughs> that's French, you understand. You understand? <laughs> right. So in mid-1989, 1989, the band began recording in Milan with record producer Flood, everybody's favorite, you two loves Flood, people love Flood, except Paul. The result of this session was the single, Personal Jesus, which featured a catchy, bluesy riff. Everybody knows that riff. And drum bass sound, radically different from anything the band had released previously. But don't get it twisted because Depeche Mode did release songs that were guitar-featured, not just all synths. And this song, which I did not know, was inspired by the book Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley, according to the songwriter Martin Gore. And for those who don't know this, Martin Gore was the short, blonde-haired guy who played the keys, not the lead singer. Everybody thinks that the lead singer was Martin Gore. That's not the case. He said, It's a song about being a Jesus for somebody else, someone to give you hope and care. It's about how Elvis Presley was her man and her mentor, mentor, and how that often happens in love relationships, how everybody's heart is like a god in some way, and that's not a very balanced view of someone, is it? It is not. Yeah. I agree with that. Well. You know, Dave Gahan is the lead singer. Dave
1: Gahan. I know, it was on the tip of my tongue. I was wanting to throw it out there, but it just wasn't coming to me. I could
0: see it in your face. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah. Yes. So, the cover, 2002 by Johnny Cash... Uh, was for that same album that from the last episode, you remember the song that he covered. Uh, the idea to cover the song was suggested by Rick Rubin, of course. And Cash called it probably the most evangelical gospel song I ever recorded.
1: Wow. Well, that's saying something there, Mr. Cash.
0: I'll say about some twee British synth dudes. But, you know, Martin Gore is good good songwriter. And uh, the cover by Marilyn Manson, the only track previously unreleased on their 2004 Greatest Hits album, Lest We Forget, The Best Of, which I'm having a hard time with Marilyn Manson having a Greatest Hits album.
1: I'm having a hard time with Marilyn Manson existing.
0: Uh, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> I I the only other song that immediately comes to me is their cover of The Eurythmics.
1: Oh, Sweet, Sweet Dreams? Dreams. I think I kind of knew about that. Luckily, I don't know if I've really heard it.
0: Yeah, I don't I can't name any Marilyn Manson originals. And well, Sweet and Dreams was a big about hit. Marilyn Manson. Yeah, and Sweet Dreams mm-hmm. was a big hit for them. I think it went number 1 for them. I'd have to look it wow. up. Wow.
1: Really?
0: Yeah, it was it was bi- it was t- I don't think I I don't think we've done that yet, so I'll save that for later. Um, yeah, so uh, according to MTV, <clears throat> Brian Warner, that jackass who calls himself Marilyn Manson, uh, he decided to cover Personal Jesus as quote I thought I, if I had to write a song. The lyrics of Personal Jesus are exactly what I would say. I think it takes a little more of an ironic tone when you put it in context with what's going on today. Now he said that in 2004. What was going on then? What bad was
1: what was going on in 2004?
0: Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I don't know. It's all been one long year. I don't Since since the late 90s it's all been one long it's year. It's one blur.
0: <laughs> yeah so um he additionally described the original song and depeche mode's music in general as hypnotic sexy and inspirational which is something marilyn Mance's music is not so we're going to listen to these and then get back with get back with to what seems to belong. be <laughs> what seems obvious yeah
2: reach out
3: Personal personal Jesus Someone to hear your prayers Someone who cares
0: I forgot about that one.
1: I, I swear, it's absolutely <laughs> identical. They just put their name on the Marilyn Manson version. Basically.
0: <laughs> How funny is that? Uh, I See, that's why I didn't include it, because it's like, what's yeah, there's the no point? point? There's no point. Okay, so we heard... Oh, are we back? Sorry. We heard. We heard the songs... And, uh, yeah, so Johnny Cash was an old man who was dying, and the same gravitas that he had for the other song that we talked about is pretty much the same. Marilyn Manson did the exact same thing that Depeche Mode did, except it was his, it was more feedback and squealy guitar nonsense. It was more produced. Yes, it was overproduced, I think. And, uh... processed. yeah. Just like squished through, uh, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, and then for fun on your own, if you want to listen to it, Def Leppard did a cover of this, and I just played a second of it for Paul, <laughs> and it's exactly the same thing as Depeche Mode and Marilyn Manson. Well, it's, a, it's,
1: well it's it's identical to the Marilyn Manson yeah. song. So I mean, I
0: you, I played I heard them, back them back to back. To back.
1: And I thought I was being punked. i yeah. It sounded like the exact same track, yeah, like you couldn't even tell it was Joel Elliott's. yeah, even the vocal sounded the same. Everything yeah. sounded identical,
0: yeah, super compressed, no no signature Def leopard, anything. It was dumb, yeah. so, uh, who's your winner, Paul? <laughs> well
1: I mean, really, if I'm gonna be really honest, keep it real. Keep they all real. fucking lose. Keep
0: it one.
2: <laughs> they all but lose? if
1: I have to choose one, it's going to be Johnny Cash. Cash. Gun to your head is Johnny Cash. Gun to my head is Johnny Cash. But the only reason I don't like his version is because I don't like the song. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, if the fucking Beatles did it, I wouldn't
0: like it. Right. Uh, For me, I would have to agree that all three of them lose. Yeah. Because I really, I like the song maybe the first ten times I heard it. And then after that, I couldn't stand it because it was on MTV every five fucking minutes. It was on VH1. It was everywhere all the time. In the supermarket, blasting out of car windows, blah, blah, blah. Everybody was singing it. Everybody was doing it. It was in all the clubs. I am sick of this fucking song. I can't stand it. So, I mean, 1989, another summer. Uh, Yeah.
1: I, I 89 wasn't exactly a banner year.
0: No, it was big for Public Enemy. But that's about it.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, yeah. They all stink. No, <laughs> well, no. Johnny Cash, gun to my head, Johnny Cash wins. Yeah, it doesn't it, stink. It doesn't it's just, stink. It's know, just, yeah. a lame song. Right. It's a terrible song. And for him to say that it was, you know, a churchy thing, uh, yeah, just weird. Whatevs, man. All right. <clears throat> Uh, Song number two is called Now That We've Found Love, or Now That We Found Love. Pick one. (laughs) With or without the V. (laughs) With or without the V. It's kind of like the
1: difference between uh, Under Pressure and Ice Ice Baby.
0: uh, Exactly. And this song was, I did not know this, it was written by Gamble and Huff. Yeah. For some reason I thought Stevie Wonder wrote it. But he wrote, well, that's another thing. Anyway, uh, yeah. So Gamble and Huff wrote this. For those of you who don't know, it's Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff from Philadelphia International Record Label in Philly. And the original version was done by the OJ's from their album called Ship Ahoy.
1: Oh yes, I know the Ship Ahoy album.
0: Right, it's like green with their faces, and yeah. it's not, it's a really bad painting. It's of a them. terrible, terrible yeah. cover. So i got two covers for this. The first one is by Third World. They put it out in 1978. And the second one was done by Heavy D and the Boys from 1991. Now the original version, I think a lot of people probably heard the Third World version first. But probably not until the 80s. Because Third World was not really played on the radio that much in the 70s when they were at that time. Um, Stevie Wonder used to cover this song in his shows. And uh, yeah, like for, for some reason, I remember people really being into this in the 80s, not so much in the 70s. But the OJ's version, it is Philly International to the motherfucking bone. It is, you know, strings and uh, lush, lavish production, mid tempo disco. E, song, really low-key, it's almost a Quiet Storm kind of vibe, mm-hmm. but a little too fast for Quiet Storm for me. You've heard this. Have you heard this?
1: Wait, you mean Quiet Storm, the Smokey Robinson song? I or? mean
0: the genre. Like, oh. when you listen to a black FM station, it's like, mm. hello, the Quiet Storm, the and quiet they play okay. all the, you know, sex songs. Um, it's a little too fast for a Quiet Storm vibe, but it is quite Quiet Storm-y. Uh, Third World, their version is up-tempo disco reggae thing. That I remember. <laughs> I remember when I was in college, <laughs> and uh, would go to like spring fling at Temple University or um, colleges. College kids loved Third World for some reason, especially the white kids who thought that they were so down, and the ones who. Sort of had dreadlocks, but just really didn't want to wash their hair. They love Third World. And um, there's a, a hook in this song where um, the lead singer, he's like, he says, Come on, baby! And that little bit has been sampled 89 million times in all kinds of hip hop songs, uh, which we'll hear. And then Heavy D and the Boys, it was a signature Teddy Riley production. You familiar with Teddy Riley? No so Teddy Riley in the 90s produced every fucking thing like Rump Shaker all I want to do is zoom a zoom 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 and a boom boom shake shake your rump Like he he brought a house music sensibility-ish and big time production and things sound very similar like it's church Teddy Riley has a very signature production sound that's the best way mm. I can describe it for, to somebody who's never heard it. Mm. And when you hear this heavy D thing, you're not gonna like it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I seriously doubt. No. no.
0: Um, but every song that he's produced is like similar to that. I'm shocked. Yeah, but it's. But I, I like it because it's a.
1: And does it go dun 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 no, dun, no, no, dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs>
0: I'm not going to answer that. You're just going to have to listen. <laughs> okay, so we're going to listen to these songs and then come back and pick a winner. Now that we found love,
2: what are we going to do with this? With love, we found Now that we found love, what are we going to do with this? Let's give it a chance. Let it control. turn up.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, <clears throat> all right, so uh yeah, Paul, what do you what do you got? Well, I mean,
1: I don't think there are words strong enough to convey just how much the OJs run away with this. <laughs> I yeah, new terminology needs to be invented. Mhm.
0: Yeah. It, there's It's such a winner. I need a new word for winner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so beautiful, that original version. It's so great. I love it. Their harmonies... Oh, my God. They just sound so fucking great.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's... that's.
0: And it's lush and just beautiful.
1: I mean, I can, that's a song where I can see why people cover it. And I can imagine there being lots of cover versions of it. But all these other covers... It isn't really like they rearranged the songs. They just gave whatever was the current in vogue production touch to the same arrangement.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like the reggae dudes made it reggae, but yet it still sounds like the yeah, same thing. It's the same thing. And Heavy D and the Boys and Teddy Riley made it house. Yeah, but it's still the same. Yeah, yeah. Except you know he's got a rap on it. It's 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 uh, hip house as the kids said back then. Um <clears throat> I like the do 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 the downturn at the end of every uh verse there uh, end of every stanza um and that's been sampled to death that little thing do 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 just like come on baby <actively singing> <oftentimes> <laughs> yeah yeah um <clears throat> so I I love the OJ's original the best but I have Spaces in my heart for the third world and the heavy D just because they remind me of it. <laughs> Paul's looking at me like, are you crazy, bitch? <laughs> um, <laughs> because they remind me of a particular time and place that make me happy.
1: I can dig it. I can and
0: dig it. also the third world version, it reminds me of, uh, it was so big at that time in the, in the 80s and 90s. It was like... Remember those white dudes, the, the white reggae dudes who did um, uh, "Baby, I Love Your Way." Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like that kind of vibe. Like, yeah, yeah. we're making it reggae, but it's not real it's reggae. Kind of the same it's poppy thing. reggae. It's you know up tempo and jump around, hippity hop around it. Well, I was just telling because I'm reading the Peter Frampton autobiography.
1: Oh, right. We were just talking about this, and he talks about that cover. Yeah. And. He wasn't aware of it, because the protocol, when, you, when you're going to cover something, you have to kind of contact yes the, the writer, whoever owns the song, say, we're going to do this, is Licensing. it okay? And you can't really tell people they can't do it, but... Prince tried to do that, and he failed. <laughs> yeah, and so... But these guys did this version and issued it, without Frampton or anybody who should have been contacted knowing about it. Yeah. And Frampton just sort of heard through the grapevine... And he listened to the track, and he didn't like it. He said, but, man, Ching-ching. he said, he said man, he bought a house from that shit, so he's like, <laughs> hey, you know, he can't, okay he's not too it. mad.
0: Yeah, can't get that upset about that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. All right, song number three is When the Levee Breaks. Now, do you know who did the original version of this, Paul?
1: Uh, Blind Willie.
3: <laughs> Jefferson
1: uh, Mellon. Jefferson
0: melon (laughs) camp airplane airplane no that's a that's a big no on that um the original version obviously right Uh, there's the original right of course uh the original version was done by kansas joe mccoy so you were close and memphis mini wow 1929 Twenty nine. Yes. Wow. And the wow. lyrics reflect their experiences during the upheaval caused by the Great Mississippi Flood of nineteen twenty seven. That's what they were singing about.
1: Well, that's all bullshit. Because when I look at my Led Zeppelin IV album and the label, the writing <laughs> credits say Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. So therefore, your information is wrong. Wrong. Right.
2: <laughs> <clears throat>
0: yes, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um. Yeah, so for those who don't know who Memphis Minnie was, uh, she lived a long fucking time, from 1897, and she died in 1973. Damn. Yeah. Her real name was Lizzie Douglas, and she was a blues guitarist and vocalist and a songwriter whose career lasted over three decades. She recorded around 200 songs, some of the best known being Bumblebee, Nothing in Rambling, and Me and My Chauffeur Blues.
1: So she lived long enough to see Jimmy Page and Robert Plant rip her off.
0: Exactly, yes. Uh, The cover was done by Led Zeppelin for their fourth album that was released in 1971. When considering material for the group to record, singer Robert Plant suggested the Kansas, Joe McCoy, and Memphis mini-song. Jimmy Page commented that while Plant's lyrics identified with the original, he developed a new guitar riff that set it apart. However... It's John Bonham's drumming that is usually noted as the defining characteristic of the song. So, the original was your basic 12-bar blues thing. Uh, Guitars were played very well. It sounds like it was recorded in 1927 in a tin can somewhere. Uh, You know, but it's great. And Led Zeppelin, this is interesting. Before the release version, they attempted the song two times. Did you know this? uh no they recorded an early version in december 1970 at headley grange using the rolling stones mobile studio it was later released as if it keeps on raining on the 2015 reissue of coda prior to relocating the headley grange they tried unsuccessfully to record it at island studios at the beginning of the recording sessions for their fourth album Page and John Paul Jones based their guitar and bass lines on the original song, however it did not follow the original 12-bar blue 1-4-5-1 thing, but instead used a one-chord modal to give it a droning sound. Right. Plant used many of the lyrics, but took a different melodic approach. He also added a harmonica part during mixing, and a reverse echo effect was created, whereby the echo is heard ahead of the source. And for you gearheads out there, <clears throat> John Bonham's drumming played a Ludwig kit. It was recorded in the lobby of Headley Grange using a uh, Bayer Dynamic M160 microphone, which, oh, several of them, which were hung up a flight of steps. So that's how you got that weird echo sound.
1: Right. And he was probably paying, playing a Vista Lite kit, I suspect.
2: Mm.
0: Output from those were passed to a pair of Helios F760 compressor limiters. A Benson Echo Rec and a Delgy effects unit were also used. That was just for the drum part. Uh, portions of the song were recorded at a different tempo, then slowed down, explaining the sludgy sound, particularly on the harmonica and guitar solos. It was the only song on the album that was mixed at Sunset Sound in Hollywood. The rest was mixed in London. Page identifies the panning on the song's ending as one of his favorite mixes when everything starts moving around except for the voice, which remains stationary. The song was difficult to recreate live, and the band only played it a few times in the early stages of their 1975 US tour. So, we're gonna listen to these and then pick.
3: If it keeps on rain, if it keeps on raining, levee's going to break And the water gon' come and I have no place to stay Well, all last night I sat on the levee in the moan Well, all last night I sat on the lever in the moan well, Thinking about my baby and my happy home If it keeps on raining, levee's going to break if it keeps on raining, the weather's going to break And all these people have no place to stay Now look here, yeah, Mama, what am I to do? Now look here, yeah, Mama, what am I to do? I ain't got nobody to kill my trouble to
0: All right, so we heard both of those, and uh, is there really a winner here? Uh, yeah.
1: Well, that's the th- well, okay. The two things. What? It's it's weird. It's like, uh, I think obviously that Jimmy Page and Robert Plant should have given at least co-writing credit to the To the people who wrote that song, yeah. Um, but I do think that they changed it up enough to where it is practically a different song. But he, he, they absolutely should have given co-writing credit. They sh- everybody should have gotten credit for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he said the first verse exactly the same, right? The first well, two. kind of. I mean, it's it's a little
1: mixed. It's a little different. I, uh, I mean, maybe maybe the diff- maybe it's the order that the words were in. But it's there was there were different there were differences. But but. Not not enough for them to claim they wrote that the That they wrote song. it. No they, fucking they, way. they added things to it that should get credit, but not at the expense of the other people's credit.
0: Yeah. You and <clears throat> I have no idea if Memphis Mini had an estate or who would be in charge of it or whatever. But this is the kind of thing... This is why the Rock and Roll Hall of, of Fame was created. And uh, <clears throat> the LLC. Because... The idea behind it was, we're going to raise money to pay these poor black musicians who white British guys ripped off and, like, give them the money that they're due. That was the impetus of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And when they first came out with it, when Jan Winner was crowing about it all the fucking time through his own magazine, we're doing such a great thing because these people were done a disservice. And so certain black people were mentioned. One of them was her, uh, you know, uh, Little Richard, blah blah, like all the, all the architects of rock and roll. So if they had estates, the money that this foundation raised was to, and you know, like, uh, put them in old folks' homes or what, like whoever was alive, we're gonna, we got your back, we're gonna Great take care of Kenya. you after ripping you off for five hundred years, and then as we see what the Hall of Fame ceremony. And nominations and everything is turned into.
1: Well, yeah, my question is, yeah, oh, they're so altruistic, but is that where the
0: $10,000 per seat for everybody who... Goes to? Yeah, is that where that money goes to? That's, I Somehow I doubt it. I would love to know. I would really, really love to know, because Jan does not need that fucking money.
1: Well, no, and if that's what they're charging per seat, per member of band, per family member, then one ceremony would set
0: one of those people for life. Life, yeah. Totally for life. Yeah. And in the beginning, people who, those first couple of shows, uh, on the way into those shows, a lot of the musicians were like, yes, this is a worthy cause, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm going to kick in five grand. Yeah, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. So that's even more money that they would make. Right. And... Some people know this about me, but I sneaked into Hall of Fame ceremonies about six times over the years in the 90s, 80s and 90s. In the 90s, and uh, yeah, most of the people who were in there were record executive people, their families, lawyers, managers, you know, the -the behind-the-scenes people who were making money off of the musicians. You know, obviously those musicians weren't broke, but they were people who could afford to pay $5,000 a plate, you know. So, to see that, and they would barely talk about where the money would go to. Oh,
1: they talked about it at all? I didn't think that was ever even uttered.
0: They did in the beginning, but see, general people in the general public didn't know that, because when they would show the ceremony, it was just about the performances. That's right. all they showed. Right. So, they might have been like, oh yeah... But it was about the induction speeches and then the big jam at the end, and right. that was it. So they did talk about it. I did see it and he, with my own two eyes and hear well, it with my own two that's ears. that's
1: just it. it. They probably talked about it a little bit there in person, but that was never televised. No,
0: never televised. And whenever, every year, in Jan's magazine, for those of you who don't know, Jan Wenner, Rolling Stone magazine, that's his magazine, he started it, they would talk about it in the magazine. But it would be this much, yeah. you know, a teeny tiny paragraph compared to... You know, Paul Schaefer and the World's Most Dangerous Band was great once again, and this year, Little Richard did this, and blah, 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 did that, and whatever, and, you know, it is what it is. But now my problem with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is...
1: is <laughs> where, where to start? There's a the, whole list of, of problems.
0: Yeah, the main problem is, I guess it's at least the last five years... Where, you know, LL Cool J gets nominated, Chaka Khan is nominated, Donna Summer was nominated, Run DMC, uh, like, acts who, to me, are not rock and roll acts. Donna Summer was not a rock and roll musician, to me. Well, yeah, I agree, um... Like, the, the one side, for long, for years and years and years, <clears throat> a lot of black people were like, fuck Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, fuck you, blah, 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 there ain't no black people up there, when we know, we created rock and roll, da, 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 da. So, number one, like, how many people were left? There's little Richard always screaming about, you owe me, because <laughs> he was right. You owe me. Yeah, but you know, Fats Domino was dead, and blah, blah, blah was dead, and so-and-so was dead. They got their props but posthumously posthumously and now we have to think about well how is rock and roll defined like for public enemy to be nominated to get into the rock and roll hall of fame to me fundamentally public enemy is not a rock and roll group they are a rap group that's is rap hip-hop like where well, how, yeah, rap, the lines definitely hip-hop. I guess, I
1: guess I'm kind of going. I, I, I'm not sure wh- where to, how to take what angle, to, what what angle to come in this conversation at because we've had this conversation on the phone.
0: Yes, we have.
1: Where I've said ex- everything you're saying, mm-hmm. and your response was more of a devil's advocate. Well, the reason why they d-, and and you, what you said was like, well, the reason why they do it is because of this and this, and it sounded like you were on the side of that. You didn't. It didn't sound like you were against it. Like you never. You never agreed with me.
0: No. I but so
1: now it sounds like you do agree.
0: I do because it's gotten worse as time has gone on. <laughs> mm. Like in the beginning, I don't, re- I have to look it up. I don't remember who the initial like interloper kind of nominations were. But like for Janet Jackson to be nominated to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I don't understand that.
1: Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. And it's so funny because, I mean, and I'm glad you're saying it because the people who mostly say that are old white guys, and be, and they say that, and everybody just goes, ah, pff, you know, old white oh rock you know, right. and like, yeah. like, it doesn't matter because they're saying it.
0: Right. It's like, but it doesn't make it any less true. Right. And I, in the beginning, like, when we had these conversations over the phone, and I was devil's advocacy, advocacy, Ab- <laughs> advocating, advocacy, advocate, um, it was because of where the stance where a lot of black people were coming was like, Yeah, we deserve to be up in there, too. Well, you do if you're that type of artist. Yes. Hendrix
1: needs to be in there. there. Little Richard needs to be in there. Prince needs to be in there. Prince needs to be in there. Obviously, yes. But, you know, Ashford... Well, Ashford, and that's a bad... But Mary J. Blige? uh, No. Come
0: on. No. No Mary J. Blige. No Janet Jackson. And I'm going to get crucified for this (laughs) by a lot of black friends. Because they're... What the fuck? But, seriously, when Donna Summer got nominated, I was like... No. Aretha Franklin? Yeah.
1: That's walking the line, but that's yeah. That's walking
0: the line, but yeah. But Donna Summer? No. She had one song that was rock and roll-ish. But the rest of it, she is the she's disco. Right. So why don't we have a disco Hall of Fame? Why don't we have an R&B Hall of Fame? Why don't right. we have a black music Hall of Fame and just throw everybody fucking in we'll there? We'll see, and that's just it, too,
1: Is is mm. that I feel like... It sells these other genres short by just lumping them in on the coattails of rock and roll. Roll. Yeah, it's are you so are you saying that hip hop itself isn't strong enough of a thing to have have its its own own, to have its own hall of fame that will have its own annual ceremony that will attract its own huge crowd?
0: Exactly. Does it really need to go in on the coattails of ACDC? I don't think. I don't think so. You know, I don't think so. And just because Run DMC did a song with Aerosmith, okay, so yeah, so I mean, what? That's yeah. not they don't. <laughs> and their first hit single was Rock Box because I mean, of the riff. Okay, they were the first to inform us
1: that it was tricky to rock a rhyme.
0: That is correct. However, that's right <laughs> How to ever? rock a rhyme. That's right I on mean, time. I mean, I don't know. It Run, Run
1: DMC, I think, kind of walks the line too. I, I because Run DMC, those first those early albums, they do kind of rock.
0: Yeah, because of know? Rick Rubin yeah, you guys should use these rock and roll samples. That was his whole thing with Aerosmith. Yeah. I mean, they were already using that, but he was like, "Let's do a video with them and that blew the whole lid off the whole thing. Yeah. But as we have seen and continue to see, why isn't there a hip-hop hall of fame? What the fuck is going on? Yeah. What is taking so long? but why, why can't why can't black folks get it together and make their own shit? Right, and that's a whole other crazy ass conversation that I can't get into right now. Well, yeah, but yeah. it's like I don't think.
1: But it isn't even just that because that isn't the only other genre. Is there a jazz hall of fame? Is there a country hall, a hall of fame? Of fam- oh, is well, there yeah. a pop music hall of fame? Which is where fucking Madonna needs to be, be- right? Yes, you she know, should not be so in it the it hall is, hall of Fame. So really, the question people like kind of seem to turn this into like a white rock and roll people versus black, black. Uh, music, and it's not. It's Rock and roll is one of a gazillion genres, and just like all those genres, it's its own genre. Thing. Yeah. And all of those genres and all those artists in those genres should be in the Hall of Fames of those genres. genres. You yeah. You know, Lee Morgan shouldn't be in the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of fame. fame. Not that
0: anybody's ever tried to get him in there, but you know what I mean? Right, yeah, you know. exactly. And there are so many rock acts, straight-up rock, new wave, You know, metal, whatever that are still not in the Hall of Fame that should be like, give me a break.
1: Yeah, (laughs) well, like there's there's the current crop that's 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 up for consideration. There are artists in there that I love way more than any of the rock artists. Like I love Dionne Warwick more than any of the actual rock artists on that list. But I mean, she's not a rock. She is not
0: a rock artist. No. That makes no sense. And then when I get into these discussions slash arguments with people uh, through social media, like my friend Tanya, she posted the nominees, and ninety percent of the people who chimed in were black, and they were all like, "Yeah, what the fuck? Janet Jackson totally deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame." Ba 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 Chaka Khan, yes, uh, absolutely. Da ba 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 And I just sat back and I didn't say anything because I was going to be the queen of unpopular opinion.
1: <laughs> well. The other thing is that people, there's always this, oh, rock and roll is dead and it's old, and that's old people music, and there's always this sort of anti-rock and roll. As time goes on and rock and roll becomes more and more of a distant past kind of thing, right. there's a more of an anti-rock and roll sort of uh, uh, sentiment or, or a way of even just referring to it. It's kind of, kind of sneered at a little bit by the younger... Yet, we need to be in their Hall of Fame. Okay, right. Wait,
0: wait. Why? Why?
1: Why? Who gives a fuck? You don't even like that shit. Why? Why do they? Why do you need to? Why be do in you that? need to be? Because you know. I mean, all, all this music that's being put in there is music that should be in, in a there. hall of fame. Yes. Just not that one. Right. You know.
0: Because twenty five years from now, is Billie Eilish going to be a nominee for the Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame? <laughs> well, like seriously, yeah. Ariana Grande Probably, is she going to yeah. be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, are we going to be alive to see that? <laughs> We're gonna be in our seventies. We Uh, might
1: be because they'll probably try to push her in in five years.
0: (laughs) But the isn't part of the criteria. It has to be like at least twenty years or twenty five years from their first release. I think. Oh yeah, I think it is something like that. Twenty years. Yeah, like the Foo Fighters are up now and stuff like that. Yeah. See, and that's just yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. We can even
1: take out the the argument that were, we're currently talking about. We can take you know. Like the original sort of roots, the the sort of black roots of it all, out of it, and say, why the fuck are the Foo Fighters up? But you know, Deep Purple isn't in there.
0: It still isn't in. Are you kidding me yeah. with this? Deep Purple should have been in decades ago. Yeah. How do you not? What the fuck? Come on, it's Deep Purple. Jesus. You know,
1: Todd Rundgren can't get in. Get there. in. Yeah. You know. <sighs> it makes but me whatever insane. i mean it's it's a it's a debate you know we're, we're taking up a lot of real estate on yeah, this debate sorry. but it's just and it's okay um, but in the end it's one of those things that you end up talking in circles about because everybody's saying the same thing, thing yeah but we don't have the power right to to determine this Oh, we get we when, get
0: one vote the public does get
1: one vote what well, they do but and that's the point i was about to make because even though every year they put, they have a website where you go and you can go in and you can can't you do it like every day? Yeah, you can vote ten thousand times if you want. Yep. And there's the popular opinion vote that puts a certain number of or a certain uh, block of five artists above the rest, which means that would that's the crowd that the the people want to see, see inducted, right? Yep. And every single year. They completely ignore that.
0: Totally. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I
1: don't. I mean, understand. some of the artists that that end up in that cream of the crop end up uh, nom or not nominated, but inducted. But that's because they already wanted them in in the first, first place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. It's uh, it's really annoying, and that's why this year I didn't even I didn't even post the nominees to discuss it because <laughs> yeah. I couldn't I couldn't go through like three hundred things on a thread where it's just this back and forth shit. And I, yeah, my stance is. And I think I did comment on on Tanya's thread. And all I said was, how are we defining rock and roll? And I used the emoji, hmm, with the fingers on the chin. And guess who responded to me? Nobody. So there's that. And scene. All right. Song number four. (laughs) Uh, The song is called These Eyes. And the original was done by the Guess Who in 1969. And the cover is by Junior Walker and the All-Stars, that was done also in 1969. Did you know about this?
1: I, I am aware of, aware uh, of this? both versions.
0: All right. Even, even
1: the Guess Who version.
0: Even the Guess Who yeah. version, all right. So These Eyes was, uh, is a song by the Canadian, blame Canada, rock band The Guess Who. It was co-written by the lead guitarist Randy Bachman and lead singer Burton Cummings, and we all know where they went, don't we, people? uh
1: bachman turner overweight
0: (laughs) exactly and originally included the band's 1969 album wheatfield soul it was released as a single uh the b-side was called lightfoot in their native canada where its chart success at number seven along with the influence of some radio station in windsor uh helped land them a u.s distribution deal with rca It was then released in the United States in March of '69, became a breakthrough success for the group. It would be their first single to reach the top 10 in the Billboard Pop Singles chart, peaking at number six and would eventually be certified gold by the RIAA for selling over a million copies. It was also a top 10 hit in South Africa. Weird. Uh, While it was the 18th single released by the band overall, it was the first from the lineup of Cummings, Bachman, Jim Cale, and Gary Peterson, and produced by Jack Richardson. So the song came about, Bachman had the piano chords with an original title of These Arms. Which I don't <laughs> These think, Arms. These Arms. I, I don't think that would have worked. Cummings changed the title to These Eyes and added the middle eight. At first, the band didn't even want to release the song, considering the gentle ballad too great a departure from their hard rock roots the song features an orchestral arrangement by ben mcpeak the song is noted for its repeated long section which starts in c major goes up a whole tone to d major then a whole tone to e major that whole upward crescendo thing finally in the coda to e sharp major before the fade where he's going these eyes are crying these eyes have now here's a good mondegreen What is he saying there, Paul, in that Uh, that part? Which which part? These eyes
1: are crying. These eyes have seen a lot of love, but they're never going to see another woman like I have with you.
0: (laughs) You're close. Oh. Uh, According to... That's what I
1: always thought it was, and I guess I still do.
0: That's what I thought it was, too. Well, I've heard people say uh, these eyes have seen about enough because they never want to see another woman like I had with you. I remember people singing that. Okay. So the lyrics actually are these eyes are crying. These eyes have seen a lot of loves, but they're never going to see another love like I had with you.
1: Okay, so he's saying love, not a woman. Cuz it sounds like he's saying never see another woman, woman. like I had with yeah. you. Yeah. That's what it sounds like.
0: That's what I thought too. Uh never going to see a lot of love like I had with you. Hmm. Yeah. So I wonder
1: I wonder if maybe that's the lyric as written, but he is saying woman on the track.
0: It, sounds, that happens. it sounds like it, yeah. yeah. And I'd, I'd have to listen to it with my uh, earphones again, but yeah. So the cover by, uh, a lot of people covered this song, and I didn't even want to get into that. But I just picked the Junior Walker and the All-Stars version. Um, it was number three on the R&B singles chart, number 16 on the Billboard pop singles in 1969. So they released it a couple of months later. And it's Junior Walker! He plays. He plays the saxophone, and uh, it follows the arrangement pretty much the same. So yeah,
1: although the, the 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 vocal is really terrible in that version.
0: I that's the one thing about Junior Walker is I've always thought that his vocal is weak, and he just needs to play the saxophone and get somebody else to sing.
1: Right. It works on what does it what's it take to win your love? Like his vocal is fine on that. Yeah. But. When you're doing something that has been sung by Burton Cummings, you're going to have to step it up.
0: You can't fuck around with that. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to check these two out and then come back and I think we already picked a winner. So obviously, <laughs> obviously it's uh, you know the Canadians, the guess who they win. Yeah,
1: I really do like Junior Walker and the All Stars though. Um, but yeah, that's just not that great of a cover.
0: No, it's kind of. I think it's interesting that he chose it, but it it's not out of the ordinary because it's good for sex. Yeah, I think it's it's good for that arrangement. All right, song number five, which is called Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Oh, oh shit. Oh, shit. And we are once again going to go to the 90s. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, ori- <laughs> the original was done by Neil Diamond from his album Just For You in 1967. And I have three covers for this I have Cliff Richard in 1968. That one I didn't know about. The one that you don't like <laughs> is by Urge Overkill from 1992. Their album was called Stull, but everybody knows it from the Pulp Fiction soundtrack that was released in 1994.
1: Yeah. It was on the Stull EP. Oh, EP, EP, sorry. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I mean, not that that's a major detail.
0: And uh, the last cover is done by Third World. Oh. On their 25th anniversary album that came out in 2001. So, the original. It's Neil Diamond. It's Neil Diamond from 1967. So, we all know what that's going to sound like. I hope. Uh, you know who wrote this, right? Neil Diamond. No, he did not. He didn't write it. Mm-mm. How the fuck did I know? I'm him? kidding. He wrote it. I'm
1: like, no yeah. way. I'm like, but you know, <laughs> do you know who produced it? Uh, Mickey Most? Nope. Neil Diamond?
0: Jeff Barry and Ellie Greenwich. Oh, Jeff Barry Greenwich. and Ellie Greenwich, yes, yep, of course. They produced it. and uh, Oh, boy. right, that's
1: right. Jeff, Jeff Barry was doing all that stuff in that period.
0: Back then, yeah. So, there are two versions of this, a mono and a stereo, as is was customary for the day. Uh, they differ slightly on the mono. Uh, the strings don't come in until the second verse. And it also has a slightly longer fade. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so, the first cover by Cliff Richard. <laughs> it is weird, man.
1: Just thought the thought of it is weird.
0: It is, it's a disco song before disco existed.
1: From 68, huh?
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> you'll hear it and you're going to be like, what the fuck is going on here? yeah it's really I was like, What, yeah, it's weird, and then the urge overkill version what's that guy's name? the singer nash Cato Nash Cato is that his real name
1: you know i don't I don't know I don't know It uh, sounds like a made up movie name well it, and on some of their albums, he's listed with his as national Cato oh fuck. <laughs>
0: National Cato.
1: So Nash is is short for National.
0: You know, I'm going to say this right now. I've never liked that guy. <laughs> I don't like his face. He's he has a weird face. He has a weird face, and the hair parted down the center it was not doing him any favors.
1: <laughs> He's very very thin hair. He he played in Phil's band once. He did. Yeah, uh, Phil. You know. Okay, this is going to take a little. take a little bit of a turn, but okay, Phil, our buddy Phil original of Tragedy. He's had many, many, many bands around here. And <laughs> Great he band. had a, um, a metal band with Moby called Diamond Snake for right. a little while. And they did a gig. Uh, Moby, this was around the time Moby had moved to L.A., and so he couldn't make this gig. and But they had the gig set up, and so Moby set them up with Nash Kato to be in his place. So, Really? Yeah, so they played the Mercury Lounge and it was Phil and Nash Kato fronting <laughs> Diamond, Diamond Snake. Snake. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. And
1: this would have been I don't remember what year it was, but it was in the it was maybe 10 years ago, maybe maybe 2012, 2013, something like that. And Nash Kato was an exact perfect time capsule of what he was in 1990. Like he didn't Hadn't changed anything. He hadn't, changed. he hadn't aged a day. His hair was the same l-
0: length. I, it was the same
1: length. I don't think he trimmed it or grown it. It was exactly <laughs> the same. He's there. <laughs> the same outfit. Like he was. He stepped straight out of ninety-five. Like he was ex- an exact replica of himself.
0: Wow. Yeah. And he sounded exactly and the same. And he sounded yeah.
1: I mean, he was yeah. I don't know what uh, he maybe eats a lot of Twinkies <laughs> and all the preservatives. <laughs> well are just preserved. Like, I don't know. Yeah.
0: Twinkies and cockroaches. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will say that I like his voice, but this cover, he's trying so hard to be Neil Diamond. <laughs> yeah, well... And he, like, the first time I heard this cover, I thought, well, why don't they just do a hot August night? Why Why doesn't right. he just, he should just be a Neil Diamond impersonator, if that's right. what he wants to do. Yeah. I I don't remember the name, the names of their other songs. What was their big hit song of their own?
1: Um... Uh, Sister Havana, from the, You Got to Roll, oh, 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 Sister Havana. Oh, okay. But they also
0: had Positive Bleeding. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's
0: the one I remember. Positive Bleeding. Yeah, bleed. those are both from the Come Saturation on, album, na, na, na.
1: which is really their one big album.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: But the Stull EP was before that. They hadn't really. The reason why people don't know it from that is because they hadn't made it yet when it came out on
0: that. Oh, oh, all right. I see, I see. And, you know, their logo reminded me of the fucking gas station sign.
1: <laughs> that was no accident.
0: Yeah, of course, they did that on purpose. And then the, the other cover I have, the last cover, is um, by Third World. Uh, you know, it's Third World. All right, so we're going to listen to these and then decide the big losers. <laughs> Girl,
2: you'll be your woman. Soon. Love you so much, can't count all the ways I died for your girl, and all they can say is, It's not your kind. They never get tired of putting me down, and I never know when I come around. But I'm gonna
3: I My- Can't count all the ways i die for you, girl And all they can say is He's not your kind They never get tired of putting me down And I never know when I come around What I'm gonna find Don't let them make up your mind Don't you know, girl You'll be a woman soon Please Take my hand
1: Cliff Richard invented the seventies. He did, evidently. Uh, kind of like Eno invented the eighties.
0: Exactly. How about that? Okay. Would you Would you ever have guessed that the, <laughs> that Cliff Richard wow. would do that?
1: Like that's straight up nineteen seventy six variety show shit.
0: Yeah, the tambourine.
1: Right, <sighs> and the and the electric, the electric sitar, yeah. sound, which nobody was did doing until that? the early seventies.
0: Right. Cliff Richard is, yeah. Wow, okay. He created the seventies. How about that? And that third world version is way more egregious than the other one. Because that one is even more like, ooh, baby, I love your way. Yes. Yeah. It's it's like it's reggae light. It's light, easy listening. L-I-T-E. Yes, it's easy listening reggae. Yeah. For when you go to hedonism and you want to get funky, you know, like you're a white girl, and you might want to get your hair cornrowed with beads in it. But before you have that fifth Mai Tai and commit, that's what you're listening to at the fire pit.
1: You know, that's the thing. I'm not a fan of reggae at all. I just I just don't like it. Um, it's Well, because it's just another one of those genres where I feel like I'm not really that into the sound in general as it is, but I feel like every song sounds fucking exactly the same. But shit like that is just... Elevator. Well, I was going to say it's a cut below. It's like 5 cuts below.
0: It's elevator music. Yeah. And the the main reggae element is chick chick chick. That's in every reggae song, every single one. Different speed, different key, different tone, whatever. Right. Uh, and I I enjoy a lot of reggae music. I was not I listened to it a little bit in junior high and high school, whatever was played on the local college radio station, but then when I went to college, when I was at the Art Institute in Philly, uh, this, these two friends of mine, Athena, who's still a friend of mine today, and her roommate, her roommate was way into reggae, <clears throat> this white girl who had dreads and... The whole nine. All she wanted to do was move to Jamaica. That's all she wanted to do was live in Jamaica, <laughs> right. and but she was into like heavy, heavy dub reggae. Right. Like you don't like reggae. Like to like dub. You would just jump out of the window.
1: Right. She didn't give a fuck about Bob Marley or anything. No, like she, was, she
0: was straight like beyond Peter Tosh, beyond you, Roy. Like people you've never heard of, deep underground. She used to get these tapes from whoever sent them up from Jamaica. And I was just like, oh, man, this is just so okay, I get it, but enough already. Mm. And I don't smoke pot, so I'm not into jaw, and I'm not loose enough to, you know, she would always right. make fun of me. You got to get into it, man. You got to relax, man. And I'm just like... <laughs> did she talk like that? Yeah.
1: And she did, did, she, did she pronounce man M-O-N? Yeah. Oh, shit.
0: That's why I'm not doing it. Um, yeah. There's a lot of reggae I really enjoy. And it is very repetitive. I there's, get it.
1: There's exactly one reggae song that I've heard that I genuinely like. Soul Rebel.
0: Soul Rebel.
1: Which, which is yeah, the, is a really early Bob Marley song, and I, I'm not a fan of Bob Marley. And for a Bob Marley song to be the song you like, that's pretty fucking you know basic, but. That's a real early-ass one that I just happened to hear on the internet. I'm like, oh, God, I actually like, I like this one. like that song. Yeah, you know? that is a good There's something song. about the sound of it and the the, the atmosphere of it that yeah. I like a lot.
0: Yeah, early Whaler stuff. Because they were trying to be, like, 50s rock and roll, in a sense. And yeah. Then he went on from there, yeah. But, um, yeah, so, Neil Diamond, hello, he wins this. Yeah,
1: oh, God, yeah, by a million. You know, in
0: the, in the 90s,
1: <laughs> I liked the Urge Overkill version, because I was a fan of Urge Overkill. And uh, I I still like them, but I mean, I was really into them in their day. So I liked that track, and I listened to it. But, you know, in the long run, I mean, come on.
0: Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's not good. All right, we're at our last song, song number six, and it is called Any Way You Want It. But it's not that one.
1: It's the other one. <laughs> it's the other one. I, I have two in my in my mind. <laughs> I
0: know. I know which ones you have. And it's the first one uh, done by the Dave Clark Five in ah, 1964. okay. And the cover, I know you know this, was done by Kiss from mm-hmm. Alive 2. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first term, the first term, I can't even talk. I'm so stupefied. The first time I heard that. I was just, I was completely blown away by the KISS cover.
1: Yeah, well, you know, when I first heard it, that's thats the first version I've ever heard, heard that song. really? The KISS version, yeah, I hadn't heard. I don't think I even knew. I'm trying to think if I knew that was a cover at first. I must have. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember. I just know that that was the KISS version was the first one I heard. The KISS version was the, the first one i heard. heard.
0: <laughs> yeah, um yeah i heard the dave clark 5 one first and it had been so long that i didn't hear it or listen to it and then alive too and i'm like are you fucking kidding me holy shit and of course it was one of those things where everybody was like oh my god it's so great i love that kit and i was like you know that's a cover right what no the kiss wrote it no they didn't it's dave clark 5 so um Yeah, a lot of people don't know about the studio side of Kiss Alive 2, but there is a studio side, people. And that... I think that's the best song on it, anyway. um, The original by Dave Clark. It's notable for its use of echo and a reverb made by an echoplex. So, did you also know... Oh, excuse me, I had a soda. uh, That that song... Was also the last song ever performed by the Ramones.:
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, and they're, and they're. Yep. I did know that.:
0: Yep featuring Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam as a guest <laughs> vocalist.
1: Uh, as a way to sully the whole thing.
0: <laughs> performed the song at their last show on August 6, 1996, at the palace in L.A. And that version can be found on the band's last live album, "We're Out of here," from 1997. So uh, we're going to listen to these, you're going to listen to these, probably for the first time, and then we're going to pick a winner. Yeah, so Kiss was doing their note-for-note cover.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? I absolutely give this to the Dave Clark 5, because I think, honestly, the Dave Clark 5 version rocks harder.
0: It does. Yeah. I feel as though Kiss was, you know, it's a song that they played during rehearsal, and they decided to put it on here. And it's... It could... I don't know. It could have rocked harder, I think. But because it's Kiss, it didn't. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Not that Kiss is subdued, but the Dave Clark 5 version is just so raw. Maybe it's because of the production of the Kiss? Well, I think what it is is there's
1: a certain... uh, uh, extra clean... The, the, the KISS version is cleaner clean. sounding. Yeah, definitely. And there's something in, like, the... There's a lot of bleed in the Dave Clark vibe yes. version, and I think that's kind of the glue that, that turns it into... that makes it sound like that. Better, that, yeah. And it just adds some some meat to it, you know?
0: Because I think that KISS... Maybe they used an Echoplex, too, as well. I don't know. But it's just... Yeah, it's it's just it's too much production. Which it doesn't really need because it's just a basic guitar riff thing. You know, yeah. like the drums are galloping and <laughs> it's Paul and Gene and <laughs> yeah, you know.
1: It's it's funny. I mean, I don't know why they had to do it. It's like Paul Stanley only wrote one song on that studio side. He has two tracks because he—that's really kind of his one of his tracks. Right. But I mean, he couldn't write two songs.
0: Yeah. I don't know. And they never really, when that album came out, they didn't really talk about this. Like, it's our tribute to the Dave Clark Five. I don't remember. Yeah, they just put
1: it out. Well, they also—they were kind of—they were doing that at the time because this was hot on the heels of Love Gun, which ends with a cover.
0: Oh right. Yeah. It
1: ends with, and then she kissed me.
0: Me, yeah. Well, maybe they thought it was a cutesy thing to do. We did it before. Let's do it That must have just
1: been their... That was their thing in 1977.
0: (laughs) The end this record with a cover. Cover, yeah. That was their steez. Well, yeah, Dave Clark Five wins, hands down. Okay, that's it for episode number 19 of Original Versus Cover. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you to Dr. Bertolino. Because, you know... Because awesome. she says so. Because I said so, and uh, yeah, you're you're gonna have to listen to stuff that you don't like. So, <laughs> tip a hat to Dr. Bertolino. So, um, I'm gonna do my best to be more regular with this because things have been weird, and uh, yeah, we'll be back in a more timely fashion from now on. All right, so that's it. Thank you, everybody. Happy motoring.